0: You know, have you ever had one of those moments where you're in the presence of two people that love each other, like so intensely that it makes you simultaneously really uncomfortable and also jealous? <laughs> have you ever heard that before? Like where You're around two people and it's like, man, that love, I've, that's something, like, and you're like, I don't know what that is, but I kind of want it. Like, you know, it's just kind of that weird, like tension, have you ever had that before? I, I've, I've seen that so many times. I was thinking this week about a moment on vacation. Uh, A few months ago, our family was at the beach. We are in Florida, and I was standing at this um, food truck buying, like, $60 tacos, because they can charge you whatever they want at the the beach. And so I'm there buying food for my family, and my kids and Sydney are over at this little park nearby playing. And as I'm there waiting for these tacos, there's this couple in their mid-70s, and I mean, they are just into each other, like, really publicly, like, into each other. It was like, whoa. I mean, like two 17-year-olds at spring break, you know, just like literally going at it. I don't want to be graphic. Here's a picture. No, I'm joking. Um, if I could have gotten a picture, I've got a flip phone. If I could have gotten a picture, I would have. It was like, whoa, this is, and you know, I'm kind of watching this without trying to watch it too much, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, what is that? And then it's kind of like, man, I want that. It's amazing. It's crazy. Cool, you know, and um, want the love, not them. Like, you know, and I'm like, this, this, this is wild. And and so, because I'm an extrovert and a preacher, and I need stories, I get involved in the situation and I, <laughs> and just start talking to them. And man, I find out they've been married for decades. And there was this moment I was like, "Whoa!" It went from being like, "What is that?" to going, "Man, I want that." Like, man, I hope like 30 or 40 years from now, my marriage with Sydney is something like that. It's like, whoa, like have you ever been around love like that that's like so intense that it's uncomfortable? It's kind of confronting and yet in, invitational, you're like, it's it like, Challenges that place of apathy in you. You know, I think about a similar situation a few years ago. I was up in the Midwest working with some leaders and we had this lunch meeting that was hosted by a father and son. The son was in his early 50s. The the dad was in his late 70s or early 80s and they were leading this meeting of leaders that were all at. And uh, I I kid you not, just sitting on this lunch meeting watching the way this dad and his son interacted, two grown men, they interacted in ways I've never seen a 50-year-old son interact with his 80-year-old father, just their friendship. Their love for each other, just like so intense, so beautiful. I mean, they're leading a business meeting, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm being blown away by love. We get out of this meeting, and some of the leaders are like, did you see the way that much like, I saw? It. Like, just the way they joked and talked and laughed. And I just remember watching it going, man, I hope when I'm 80 and my sons are in their 50s, I know them like that. And it was, it was a level of love that was just like so intense that it was both uncomfortable and attractional challenging and invitational, offensive and yet desirable. <laughs> and it's this just, just great reality of love. I like, go, have you ever seen that, not just in a human relationship, but have you seen that in the context of the kingdom of God, where somebody, in a, the most genuine way possible, they're so intense with their love for Jesus that it challenges every place of religious apathy within you. Think about years ago, think about being a college minister. I worked on a campus, and every now and then students would come in, and they'd have a love for God that was like really bold and really intense, but I remember this one student in particular. He's a freshman when I met him, and I remember his, his love for God was so kind of out there and intense. I was supposed to be the pastor, and I'm like, bro, you gotta like tone it down a bit. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, you're never gonna get friends like this, you know, and um, But I I remember just like being around his genuine love for God, it like stirred something in me. And And it convicted me, and I thought, man, like there's places in me that are just so asleep. So asleep, just being in the presence of love like that. Think about teaching in India a few years ago at this conference, and Thousands of people had come from all over Southeast Asia. Not uh, to hear me teach, they were there for this conference. I was just there as a participant as well. And I was there at this conference, and most of them had traveled a long way, and they didn't have a place to stay, and they didn't have money for food or hotel. And for three days, I see thousands of people sleeping out on the field around this conference. And I thought, man, that's so different than the conferences I go to in America, You know, where you go in these Christian conferences and they entertain you to death and they give you a a ton of swag and we've turned the sermon from a sermon into a nine-minute TED Talk because our attention span is so small and and yet we still can't seem to entertain people into the conference that they showed up to. I remember being at that conference with these people that were so hungry for the word of God, they'd sleep outside for three days and not eat and i go, what is that? I want that. (laughs) What is that? I want that. I go, Have you ever been around love like that? And the thing about these, these, these moments, I want to be really clear, this season of prayer and fasting, the goal of this is not to, to get you to do a morning devotional. It's not to get you praying half-heartedly for eight people that you kind of know. It's not to coerce you into white-knuckling some discipline so you get through the end of it and go, oh, I did it. Thank goodness we're through that. Like, No, the the goal is that we would put ourselves in a position to be opened up to the full-bodied expression of heaven's love both in us and through us for the sake of those that are around us. Guys, it's crazy in America how many self-professing Christians are just marginally interested in Jesus. That's true of a lot of us. You'd go, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, I don't love Jesus that much. And I go, can you imagine your spouse saying that about you? Oh yeah, we're totally married. I'm definitely not cheating. I just don't really love you that much. And a lot of us guys, we, we, we come into this whole church thing that way. I'll show up enough, I'll give enough, I'll serve enough. I'll pray enough, but man, don't talk to me (laughs) about this whole like actually knowing God thing. This whole intimacy thing. It's like walking like in the deeper, like, ugh. And then you get around somebody who's just like going after the Lord. And their love is, is both uncomfortable because it's so deep and close and it's invitational. And guys, I believe it's there that the Lord in this season is saying, hey guys, there's, there's more, there's more for you. And this, this morning at, out of Luke 10, we're just gonna look at one verse together. I just, I want us to wrestle with like, what does it look like to become a people who are truly just like madly in love with Jesus, wholeheartedly in love with Christ? First and foremost, that's who we are. And I love Luke chapter 10 because when I read Luke 10, like if you read it in the wild, not like in a religious setting like this, like if you read it in the wild, and you just look what's going on there, man, you see these people who their love for God and their love for each other, it disrupts all of the religious sensibilities of American Christianity. Like, you look at what they're doing, and we'll look at it over the next couple of weeks, but I'll just, uh, I'll give you the highlights real quick. These people, their love for Jesus and their love for each other was so intense that they were just willing to do whatever Jesus told them to do, which is a really novel approach, right? And so all of a sudden, he sends them out on mission. We'll look at this over the next couple of weeks, and they're healing the sick and raising the dead. They're preaching the gospel. They're bringing down demonic strongholds. They have this incredible community in the midst of all of it. And I look at Luke 10, and it it in almost no way describes what I see across the American landscape of cultural Christianity. And I look at it and I go, what is that? And I also go, I want that. Because the love that you see unfolding is just so amazing. But here's what Luke is gonna remind us of. He's gonna say, hey, in the kingdom of God, before there is fruitfulness, there's always friendship with Jesus. Before there's impact in the world, there's intimacy with God. Before you get to any of that good stuff that we're gonna look at over the next couple of weeks, any of that cool stuff, the the healing, the miraculous, the the gospel witness, before you get to any of that, there's gotta be some of this. In other words, in the kingdom of God, this always comes before that. Look at Luke chapter 10, starting verse one. He says, after what? Say this with me. After? Come on, after? After? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. After this, after this, after this, it's it's the part of the chapter that we're so prone to not even notice because the rest of the chapter is so beautiful. You know, the rest of the chapter is the good stuff. The community, the sending, the healing, the power, the proclamation, it's like, whoa, that's the the stuff. But I love what Luke is gonna say. He's gonna say, all of that stuff only comes after this stuff. That only comes after this. Fruit only comes after friendship. Impact only comes after intimacy. That only comes after this. And this week, I just found myself going, okay, God, what does it look like to be a people that are marked by this, to be a a people, to be a church that's marked by this kind of friendship, this kind of uncomfortable closeness to Jesus in a world that says, show up at church occasionally, be a moral person, be kinda nice, everything's good, have your religion, don't get it too out in front of you. What's it look like to be people just marked by the power and the presence of God turned upside down by his love? Luke says a lot of cool stuff's gonna happen, but it all happens after this. Happens after this. And so this week I was going back through the gospel of Luke. I don't know when's the last time you read through Luke. You should go back and read chapters one through 10. But it's interesting to me, starting in verse, or chapter five, he begins walking in close friendship. Jesus begins walking in close friendship with these followers of his, these disciples of his. And if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, I want you to hear me say this. The only reason we can even talk about having a friendship with Jesus is because of the grace of Jesus. Shake your head if you understand that. Like, you don't earn friendship, you don't purchase friendship. Like, you don't have friendship because you're so awesome and God saw you on the playground. He's like, I want you on my kickball team. That's not the way that it works. Like, friendship is an unmerited gift of God. God came, lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death, rose in victory so that sinners could become friends with God. Whoa, wow. So this whole thing that we're talking about friendship, it only flows out of the reality of the gospel, this this gospel invitation that Christ comes to you and he doesn't give you a list of rules. He comes and he says, hey, be my friends. Come know me. But in order to have a, a friendship, there's this, reciprocation that's got to happen on the part of Jesus's friends. And Jesus is going to talk a lot about this, but it's interesting to me as I was looking through the first 10 chapters of Luke, so much of their response to Jesus's work towards them in the gospel of Luke can fall under two big categories. If you take notes, I'll just give you these, like what's it look like to develop an uncomfortably close friendship with Jesus? I think it falls in kind of two realities. It involves us letting go of some things. And it involves us learning how to live with Jesus, not just for him and not just like him, but live with him. Like, what's, what's the response of God's people in this gracious invitation? Hey, come be my friends. Like, what's the response? So much of what you're gonna see is gonna be found in this realm of letting go. And let's start there for just a few minutes. Maybe this is where you're at this morning, where you go, man, I know I want more of God, but there's things that he's inviting you to let go of. And I'll just hit a few of the high water marks in Luke. I'm by no means going to hit all of them. I'll just give you a few of them. His friends, before all that cool stuff comes in Luke 10, it comes after this moment where they begin to walk in friendship with Jesus. And this friendship's going to require them to let go of some things. And one of the first things that they have to start letting go of is this, this control that all of us just like clamor for. Like, don't you love being in control? (laughs) Like, I love being in control. Like, you can admit it here. Like, we all love being in control. It's like just in our our human nature. We want to be in control. But Jesus shows up and he invites them into this friendship. And in order for them to even enter into the friendship, they have to surrender control. Remember that moment in Luke chapter 5 where they're just at their work. A few of Jesus' future friends are just there in the boats, they're fishing, they've had a terrible day at work, they come home, things are bad, and, uh, or they come uh, in from fishing and Jesus shows up in their boat, do you remember what he does? He says, hey, let's go back out, let's go back out to the water, let's throw your nets out on the other side and you can almost hear the disciples are like, Jesus, no offense, bro, you're a single nomadic carpenter who preaches on the side, what do you know about fishing? That's how some of you feel, you don't say it out loud that way. But you're like, Jesus, what do you know about being a single young man in 2020? What do you know about stewarding sex, Jesus? Like, what, what do you know? Like, what do you, like, a lot of us come to Jesus, like, what do you, what do you know? Who are you telling me? But I, I love his friend's response. There's this moment where they've seen him at work in the villages around him. And they go, okay, here's the deal. Because you say so, we'll do it. They lower the nets down. They, they bring in this huge catch of fish. Remember this story? I mean, literally, it's like they just, their stocks closed at a record high. Like, I mean, come home, made more money than they ever made. You remember what Jesus does? Jesus says, hey, leave it all behind. Come follow me. Leave all that, leave all of it behind. Come follow me. Those of us that are sensible, we're like, Jesus, should we set up a, a, a mutual fund? <laughs> should, 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 should we like put it, like, what should we do? And Jesus is like, no, just let me be in control. Do you realize it's impossible for Jesus to be your Lord and for you to stay in control? You can admire him, but you cannot follow him if you're in control. Jesus says, I want you to be my friend, but here's the deal. You have to let go of this tendency to control. Well, we're all uncomfortable. I keep going, okay? Um, There's other ones. The disciples keep going. He says, hey, you're gonna have to let go of your religious sensibilities. You've been taught your whole life that God's a formula, and if you do these external things, He'll respond this way. And over and over and over in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to challenge that. He's going to challenge that. He's going to say those actions aren't bad, but those things don't save you. He challenges their desire for control, He challenges their desire to be religious and to turn His movement into some sort of religion. Jesus challenges their desire to manage the outcomes. He says, you got to let go of your desire to manage the outcomes. I mean, this is what some of us are battling this month. Even as we're praying and fasting for eight people, we're like, it's day 15. When are they coming to the Lord? When's this going to work? I think think about a friend of mine who, um, uh, I saw him in one of the prayer rooms this week. He said, man, I've been praying for my neighbors. I have this one neighbor I've never met been praying for that neighbor like crazy, and I'm just like, God, give me an opportunity to meet that person in a meaningful way. He said, the day I started praying that, my son calls me and says, Dad, I wrecked the car. He said, where'd you wreck the car? He said, into our neighbor's mailbox. <laughs> he said, which neighbor? He's like, I don't know her name. It's the one we don't know, and, and you know, my friend lives in Brentwood, so it's like one of those expensive brick mailboxes. He's like, dang it. <laughs> and uh, so he's like, this is his chance, and he, he goes over, and he meets the neighbor and has a, an amazing encounter and walks away from the, the door and realizes, hey, I didn't, actually, I didn't actually share what I needed to share. And so, he said, so he went back over and knocked on the door and said, hey, this sounds crazy, I've been praying for you. And I've been asking that God would give us a meaningful way to connect with our neighbors. Would you be willing to come over and eat dinner at our house? And she said, yes. And then, he, so he and I start talking and he's like, he's like, but where, where's it gonna go? What's gonna happen of it? I'm like, I don't know. It's the kingdom, is what Jesus talks about to his friends. He says, it's like seed that we're throwing. Some of it's gonna take, some of it won't, right? He says, but if you wanna be my friends, you've gotta let go of control. You've, you've gotta let go of your religiosity. You've got to let go of your desire to manage the outcome. You gotta let go of your reputation. Do you realize that you can be really close to Jesus and he may absolutely ruin your reputation? Do you know that? Think about Jesus with his friends in Luke 7. They're there in the middle of that religious gathering or in that religious leader's house or eating a meal. And this woman, if you have an old-timey Bible, it says this woman of ill repute or you know, a, a woman of the evening or whatever you want to say. She, she, she comes in and she's uncomfortably close to Jesus. She, she's like kissing on him and she's, she's like trying to express her love and everybody in the room is like, whoa, you better shut this down. It's a PR nightmare, (laughs) this gets on Instagram, Jesus is over, like, you know, it's just like, like, what are we gonna do with this? And Jesus Jesus was comfortable being uncomfortably close to those that were on the outsiders in the kingdom. Be like you showing up at house church this week and I'm not trying to be crass, but a, a stripper showing up and kissing all over the person leading the Bible study and you're like, I gotta tell my wife about that, this isn't gonna be good. It's a moment where the reputation of Jesus and anyone with him is up for grabs. But Jesus says, if you want to be with me, man, you've got to let go of control. You've got to let go of your religiosity. You've got to let go of your desire to manage the outcomes. You've got to let go of your reputation. You've got to let go of your desire to play it safe. Think about how many times people tried to kill Jesus. I don't know if you hang out with the type of people that have people trying to kill them. If you do, probably that's something you should give up this month for fasting. Like if those are your kinds of friends, like, but think about how scary this would have been. Constantly under threat. And then they get on a boat with Jesus in Mark chapter eight. Get on a boat with Jesus and going across the sea and what happens? It's like, oh man, they almost drown. It's like, whoa, Luke chapter eight is what I meant. It's like, man, you can be right in the center of God's will, and your life can feel so crazy, scary. (laughs) Jesus says, "Man, if you want to be my friends, you got to let go of some of these things: control, and your worldview, and your religious sensibilities, and your desire to manage the outcomes, and your desire to play it safe." And we could just go down the list, thing after thing after thing. Here's the challenge for so many of us in America: you were sold a false gospel. A lot of us were sold false gospels. It went something like this. You can have Jesus, and while you hold on to Jesus, you can hold on to your worldview, and your friend group, and your um, reputation, and your comfort, and your control, and your safety. You can have Jesus and all this other stuff as well. And Jesus says, no, you take me, and then let me deal with all the other stuff. And it's a radically different message, guys. Some of you heard a gospel that went one step further, a false gospel that went one step further and said, not only will Jesus allow you to have both things, Jesus will help you secure and protect those things. We come to Jesus for Jesus. And that's enough. And part of walking in friendship with Jesus means, okay, we're gonna let go of some things, but it's not just about what we let go of, it's. It's how we begin to learn how to live with Christ in real time, in real step, where we begin to walk with Jesus. And I want you to notice this. There's a big difference between living for Jesus and living like Jesus and then living with Jesus. There's two, it's two totally different things. Is it good to live like Jesus? Absolutely. Is it good to live for Jesus? 100%. But the joy of your life and the fruitfulness of who you are in the kingdom of God is connected to you learning how to not just live like him or live for him, but to live with him, to walk in step. And this is the beauty of the gospels is that it's not like Jesus showed up at their boats and said, hey, here's four easy steps, guys. Just do the four easy steps. You're gonna be good. Spread these around. Like, you know, he didn't didn't put uh, uh, an article up on Reddit. You know, it's like, he didn't come and give a list. He said, come and learn how to do life with me. Walk with me. Let, let me teach you how to do life day in and day out. That's the heart. That's the heart of walking with Jesus. And so these disciples are waking up day after day and they're going, okay, where he goes, I go. What he does, I do. What he says, I say and believe and follow and live. And it, it, was, this, it was this longing to go, man, I want to, to live with you as I'm learning to live like you and for you. It's a radically different approach. That it's possible to spend your whole life in church, to check all of the boxes, and to live your life largely divorced from the presence of God. A lot of us without even meaning to, we we live like that married couple who really function more as roommates than lovers. And we're like, okay, Jesus, I know we're in the same house. I know we're on the same team. I don't know you. I don't know that I love you. I'm not with you. And a lot of us, if we would just slow down long enough and really assess the context of our hearts, we'd go, God, that's that's maybe where we're at. And I go, I don't know about you, but man, I don't want that. I don't want that. I, I, I want the kind of love, the kind of friendship with God that is maybe at times uncomfortable for me and the people around me, but beautiful because of who God is and what he's doing. I want all of that stuff that we're gonna look at over the next couple of weeks in Luke chapter 10, but if I'm really honest, more than that, man, I want this. And Luke is gonna say, hey, before there's fruitfulness, there's friendship. Before there is impact, there's intimacy. Before you get any of that, there's gotta be this. And if we charge into the kingdom, trying to do things for our neighbors and trying to do things for God and trying to do things for for other people without being rooted in a real, genuine, life-giving, grace-filled, truth-saturated, spirit-endowed friendship with Jesus, if you go after that stuff without this, I'm just telling you, it leaves you high and dry and longing for more. Like a runner sprinting through the desert. You go, man, when when am I gonna get relief? And Jesus says, I've come to offer you more. See, the the danger of a sermon like this, I've been thinking about over the last couple of days, is if we hear this, if we hear Luke 10 through religious ears, we'll just turn it into another religious thing. It's like, oh, man. That's one more thing. I was reading the daily devotional. Dave, why'd you have to go mess it up? Like I was doing the Devo, I was fasting. Now you're saying I've gotta have an uncomfortable friendship with Jesus. And what was that story about that couple at the beach? I don't get it. Like, you know, you're sitting here and you're going, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> just tell me, what, like if, if we hear it through that. But, but guys, here's the deal that the disciples, these friends of Jesus, when they saw Jesus for who he is and what he could do, they went, man, we don't want to go after anybody else. Because they didn't encounter an idea or a philosophy or a checklist. They encountered a living, breathing being who was better than anyone or anything they'd ever seen. And when they saw Jesus, they said, man, we'll let go of control. We'll let go of worldview. We'll let go of old habits. We'll let go of anything that's keeping us, and we will learn how to live with you because you're worth it. You know, it's how I felt when I met my wife, Sydney, years ago. I was a freshman in college. She was a junior. She's a cougar. And, uh, <laughs> and when I met her, uh, she was in a serious relationship with a guy who was superior to me in every way, in all honesty. And uh, yeah, I'm just like, Lord, destroy that relationship. Give her to me. <laughs> I don't know that I prayed it, but Lord, work things out for the good of those that love him and walk according to his purpose. <laughs> And so, you know, they broke up, and I was there for the rebound. And, um, and listen, I knew I was the rebound. Sydney knew I was the rebound. My in-laws now knew I was the rebound. Everybody knew I was the rebound. Like, But I'm like, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. Like, and she's just amazing. And you know, it's crazy. Like, you know, when, when you see somebody in their goodness, it's like, you know what? It, it, it would have been foolish for me to go, what are all the other options? It's like, no. It's like, I met her, and I went that's my option. It's singleness or her. It's like, like, you know, it's like, that's my option. And, you know, I'm convinced, guys, when we move beyond casual cultural religion and you see Christ, there's no more of this. Can I have him and all this other stuff? It's, I just want more of him. I just want more of him. I want more of him. I want more of him. And some of you are here this morning and you're going, I don't want more of him. And maybe your prayer is, I want to want more of him. I want to want. Guys, that's a noble prayer. That's a noble prayer to say, God, we we want to know you this way. This isn't just Luke saying this. You see this all through the scriptures. Moses, man, one of the most impactful people in human history. After the age of 80, liberated millions of people from slavery, wrote the first five books of the Bible. I mean, it's an amazing resume. But before any of that impact, he was a man marked by intimacy with God. I love that story in Exodus 33 where God is getting ready to to send the people on their way. They've just been rebellious and disobedient, like some of the people around you in your own life. And and God, God looks down and he says, hey, here's the deal. He says, I'm gonna provide for them and take care of them, but I can't walk in intimacy with that sort of rebellion. And he looks at Moses and he says, but I'll keep being your friend. And I I love this moment, Exodus 33, where Moses says, God, I don't just need you to be my friend. Will you be their friend as well? And God says, because of my friendship with you, I will bless them. Do you know the most impactful thing you could do in human history is become a deep friend of God? When you get uncomfortably close to Jesus, it blesses everyone around you. You going to be a great husband, friend, neighbor, coworker, roommate. Don't fix your eyes on that. fix your eyes on Christ and watch what God does. Because intimacy precedes impact. Friendship precedes fruit. This always comes before that. So what you see in Acts chapter two, we always talk about this that moment. Oh, remember that moment where 3,000 people came to the Lord? Remember that moment where the Holy Spirit poured out? Remember that moment when there was revival? Do you remember what came before that moment? A handful of people that were committed to this. They got in a room, and they just started praying and seeking the Lord. Because they knew that intimacy preceded uh, impact, and friendship preceded fruit, and this came before that. I go, guys, the the greatest mark we can leave on the world around us, greatest mark we can leave in this city, is to become the kinds of people who are deeply, legitimately, humbly in love with Jesus. And I just want to ask you, just in the most gentle way I know how to ask, if there is anything or anyone you love more than Jesus, It is time to lay that at the cross. If there's anything or anyone that you love more than Jesus, set it at the cross. Hand it over to the Lord in prayer in a few minutes. God, you know I love this more than you. Will you help me to love these things in appropriate levels in relation to who you are? Guys, there are some of you who are loving things that you don't need to be loving. And maybe this is a season where the Lord's saying, hey, would you let go of those things and trust me to be the satisfaction of your soul? And for some of you, it's what do you need to let go of? For some of you, it's not about what you need to let go of. It's just, Jesus, would you help me live with you day in and day out? help me to hear your voice, help me to know your heart, help me to include you in my decisions, help me to pay attention to where you're gonna go. And I go, what would happen if we'd become friends like this? I'll end with two quick stories and we'll have some time of prayer. It's amazing to me what is beginning to stir all across our city and our state. When people put Jesus first, it begins to, to flow out of them. I think about a group of guys were in their early 20s, and they were just praying, they were just praying, God, would you use us to help our generation come to the Lord? And so they found out about a group of young high school guys out in Williamson County that were throwing these huge raves. They'd rent out these warehouses and throw these raves and make a ton of money, and just crazy stuff has been going on at these raves. And so two of my friends have been praying and fasting with us. It started last year during our fast. They said, God, would you give us an opportunity to to make a difference in that community. And so just drawing close to God in this season of prayer and fasting. They come out of that season of prayer and fasting and they have this idea. So they reach out to these two high school kids that were organizing these raves. And they said, hey, what if we could double the attendance at your raves and get you a free warehouse to have the raves in them? What if we could do both of those things? Would you let us be a part of throwing these raves? And all of a sudden the guys are like, whoa, why are these two guys in their 20s trying to do all this stuff for free? What's in it? And they said, here's the deal. They said, um, you know, No drugs or alcohol, on premise, number one. And number two, um, you've got to give us 15 minutes in the middle of the rave to share about Jesus. And these two high school kids are like, man, this is a no-brainer. We're going to double our intake. We're not going to have to spend any money on the warehouse. Everybody's going to be so high and drunk that they're not going to pay attention to the gospel anyways. So the music's going to be loud. This isn't going to hurt us, so let's do it. And so uh, they start joining these guys in these raves. Every couple of months they'll throw a rave and 15 minutes in the middle of the rave they'll stand up and they'll share the gospel. Guys, hundreds of high school students are getting wrecked by Jesus coming to the Lord every single week because somebody was in the intimate place with Jesus walking as a friend with Jesus. He said, and I'm gonna send you into a crazy place to do what you never imagined. Intimacy before impact. Friendship before fruit. This before that. Think about what's happened a few weeks ago after our kickoff at the Ryman. A couple of young women, I've heard this story from multiple accounts. I wasn't in the restaurant when this happened, but a couple of women in their early 20s had gone to a restaurant after they had worshipped with everybody at the Ryman. They sit down at their table, and the waitress goes, man, you seem like people who have been in the presence of God. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had a waitress say that to you before. My feelings were a little hurt. No waitress has ever said it to me. (laughs) I carry my Bible. I'm like... Never, never once, you know. And so, um, but, so man, this lady said, I've been praying that, that God would do some things in my life. Would you mind praying for me? And these women said, sure, we'd love to pray for you. And the waitress right there in the restaurant gets down on her knees and lets them pray over her. This moment of great impact that came on the heels of what? Deep intimacy. They've just been worshiping the Lord, <laughs> seeking the Lord. Friendship comes before fruitfulness. This always comes before that. So I told you I'd tell you, 2 I'll give you one more. I guess the stories are coming. They're so fun. Can I tell you one more story? Is that cool? Is that cool? Okay, one more. Right, there's one guy in the back. who's like, no, dang it. Um, uh, so there's this church in Northeast Tennessee that last year when we were praying and fasting, they, um, they heard what we were doing, and they decided to take 30 days and just pray for Ethos Church because they knew we were leading this thing with hundreds of churches then, and they just prayed for God's protection of our church, which is amazing. They did that for 30 days last year. Then when they heard that we were going to pray and fast for uh, uh, for the state again, they're like, hey, we're in, and so they started mobilizing, and, and uh, I, I, one, I was just struck by that. Can you imagine me standing up here next week saying, hey, we're going to take the month of March, and we're going to fast for a church in St. Louis? Like, Almost none of us would do that. Like, and, and I think you guys are all pretty awesome, but like, I don't know if, if you did that. But they fasted for us for a month, just seeking the Lord, God doing great things. So this month, they've been praying and fasting with us. Last Sunday, the preacher gets up to uh, start his sermon, and literally, before he's I- even getting ready to preach, a couple of young adults in their early 20s come down, fall on their face in front of the pulpit, and start just repenting of sin. He didn't know what was happening. He thought, man, this is crazy. So people got up and started praying over them and he didn't preach a sermon. People started coming to the Lord in this small little church in this small little town. That was on Sunday, I talked to them on Thursday. As of Thursday night, they had not left the building yet. People coming from all over this little town getting saved by Jesus. I thought, man, I could not get my kids to stay at Disney World four straight days with no food or sleep, I couldn't. (laughs) You can't, like guys, you can't entertain people in a church that long. You can't guilt them into church that long. Do you, know what, do you know what's happening there? An outpouring of heaven's love. They're encountering the realness of God. And when you experience that love, you go, I want nothing else. And I just want to be really clear. That's what I'm praying for in Awaken. <laughs> I'm praying that there wouldn't be a person in Ethos Church that loves anything more than love Jesus. Starting with me. And I need the help of God to do that. And so here's what we're gonna do. We have communion on the bar. It's on the tables around the room. I wanna invite you to get the cup and to get the bread and to come back in groups and to confess any sin that you need to confess. You want people to pray over you. There's men and women that respond. We'd love to pray over you. Confess sin pray. If there's things you need to let go of, literally just share those things with Jesus. If you want to share them in community, share them in community. But let's spend time in groups praying. So let's stand up together. I'm going to pray over us. And then I'll send this to the table. Father, I love you. And I see this all throughout the scripture, so I'm just going to do it. God, on behalf of not just this community of faith, but on behalf of our city and our nation, God, would you forgive us for loving so many things more than we love you? Would you forgive us for chasing impact and forgetting intimacy? Would you forgive us for chasing all of that stuff and forgetting the stuff that's really behind it? God, if there's anything that needs to be let go of today, help us to let go of it, to repent of it, to lay it at the cross, to receive the grace of Jesus. If there's ways for us to start living in the kingdom in new ways, God, would you just speak to us speak to his Holy Spirit, speak through scripture, speak through community, speak through worship, speak through the communion. You tell us wherever two or three are gathered, you're with us as well, that you're among us. And so we ask you, God, would you minister to your body here? Would you lead your family here today? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.